0: The Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join Abbott historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Hello, my name is Troy Smith. I am an associate professor of history at Tennessee Tech University in Cookville. And this is part of our ongoing podcast series, Mountain True. Uh, True stories uh, of local history from the Upper Cumberland. And today, I'm going to share a a, a story with you that um, initially may not seem like it fits in because a good deal of it takes place in Texas. It starts in Texas, and then we'll come to Tennessee to show how it all ties together, which is actually the opposite of, of how things went historically. Things started in Tennessee and ended in Texas. I used to, uh, when I was a young man, I lived in a dorm in Brooklyn. I had three Texas roommates, and uh, they were always bragging about how Texas was the best of everything. And I had to point out to them, being a Tennessean, that uh, Texas is basically a branch office of Tennessee, that if it weren't for, you know, Sam Houston, Davy Crockett, and on and on. Where would they be? And then finally, they talked me into going to this uh, this bar uh, where a lot of expatriate Texans hung out in Manhattan called the Lone Star Bar and Grill. And I went in there, and there was a big painting of the Alamo on one wall and a Tennessee flag on the other one. So I was like, there you go. I tried to tell you. Anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about Texas, which, as you know, was once, Part of Mexico until the uh, Texas Revolution, in which uh, Texans and Tejanos or um, Mexican-born Texans uh, united together to uh, declare their independence as uh, as an independent republic from Mexico, which of course led to that whole Alamo thing uh, and led to Sam Houston leading the Texans to a military victory, and the Republic of Texas being formed. Like I said, a lot of Tennesseans there in the early days of Texas. The uh, Texas Rangers were formed early on, uh, actually informally, uh, first in the 1820s. In the late 1830s, uh, the Texas Rangers were often um, engaged in fights with Comanche Indians and other native tribes, sometimes with bandits, and in the 1830s and, and into the 40s, a lot of times with the forces of the Mexican government, and that's because the Mexican government, led by uh, Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, uh, who was in charge there uh, during that uh Alamo and Sam Houston thing they refused to recognize Texas as an independent country now the um, the, the the war had uh, had ended when Sam Houston had captured Santa Ana uh, and then he he signed uh, papers of surrender and recognition of Texas but he claimed that didn't count because it was under duress so they continued to fight over whether Texas should still should be an independent country. Not large-scale war, but skirmishes uh, were happening continually, especially in an area called the Nueces Strip. Uh, and that's, that's because the government of Mexico said that even if there was a Texas, their southern border would be the Nueces River, not the Rio Grande, as Texas claimed, which was many miles to the south. So this area between those two rivers was contested um, and actually would remain contested for several years, which was what would lead to the Mexican-American War, which started in 1846. Well, our story takes place in the winter of 1842-43 initially as part of something known as the Somerville Expedition. This was a a military expedition into that contested area of about 700 Texas Rangers. Uh, In part, this was uh, a reprisal uh, against what was known as the Dawson Massacre that had taken place Earlier that year, when 36 Texas militiamen had been killed uh, by uh, the Mexican army, but also in part it was kind of uh, an opportunistic adventure uh, and a desire to uh, gain materially from from appropriating uh, other other areas. Now there had been another such expedition, the Santa Fe expedition, uh, in which uh, some Texas. Uh, military had tried to seize Santa Fe from the Mexicans unsuccessfully. So this is also kind of similar to that. Uh, There was some fighting near uh, Laredo uh, and ultimately the uh, uh, Somerville, the commander of the expedition, uh, declared it finished uh, and ordered uh, everyone to disband and head back home. However, there were five companies of rangers who whose captains decided not to go back home, but to press further. Uh, Essentially, uh, you had a group of about 300 Texas Rangers who kind of on their own decided to invade Mexico, which, you know, uh, depending on how you look at it, might or might not be uh, a good thing to do. I mean, most people would say not. They thought it was a good idea at the time, but turns out there's a lot of Mexican people in Mexico. Uh, So this was not very successful at all with these 300 Texas Rangers. They were surrounded. Uh, There was a bloody battle. Many of them were killed. Eventually, roughly 160 of them were taken prisoner. Uh, Taken prisoner and marched down to Mexico City, where the the leader of the uh, Mexican country, Santa Ana, was going to decide their fate, um, looking uh, having sort of a dim view of invasions like that. Well, one of the uh, Texas Rangers that was involved was named William Wallace. He was from Virginia originally, uh, better known by his nickname Bigfoot Wallace, who was one of the most colorful, legendary of the Texas Rangers. Uh, One of the others, one of the captains, one of the five captains, is what brings this to the Upper Cumberland. His name was William Mosby Eastland, and he was from White County. Uh, He was the son of Thomas and Nancy Eastland. Thomas Eastland, the father, was uh, an Englishman who had moved to the United States, uh, lived in Kentucky, uh, his wife, Nancy Mosby, um, may have been related to the uh, Mosby who was a general in the Civil War. I really don't know. I need to look into that. I'm curious now. Uh, but anyway, uh, Thomas and Nancy and their family moved from Kentucky to Tennessee in 1821, and they bought what was known as the Clifty Homestead up on Bonaire Mountain, the eastern end of White County near the near Bonaire Springs. And there, uh, Thomas Eastland built an inn called Eastland Station that was in operation for many years. He became a very prominent person in the county. And eventually, the area around his, his inn uh, grew into a community that uh, still is known by his name, the little community of Eastland in White County. Uh, William, Mosby Eastland being his son, uh, moved to Texas in 1835, just before the, uh, the war uh, broke out, the War for Independence. Then later he became a Texas Ranger. So that is the, the White County connection to what is known as the Mir Expedition. It broke off from the Somerville Expedition and headed south into Mexico. Mir was the name of the uh, the city where the Mexicans eventually uh, surrounded and defeated them. So then the question is, what's going to happen to Captain Eastland of White County uh, and all these other Texas Rangers, including the very famous Bigfoot Wallace? Well, Santa Ana uh, wanted to just kill them all. Uh, That had often been his answer to things Uh, when he had attacked the Alamo. Remember, there had been uh, an order to take no prisoners. Uh, And there uh, there were other incidents during that war for independence where he had done the same thing. However, his advisors warned him against this course because it would not look good internationally. It would cause them diplomatic problems, just as their behavior during that previous war had done. So, essentially, they told Santa Ana, it is really not a good idea just to kill 160 people. So, he decided to compromise uh, and to uh, to decimate them, literally. He, he ruled that one-tenth of them were to be executed. The ones to be executed were to be chosen at random. So, all the prisoners were were brought out into this courtyard. And this large jar full of dried beans was set out on a table. Uh, There were 160 160 dried beans. 16 of them were black. The others were white. So, 10% of the beans are black. Each person... Uh, The prisoners had to line up. Each one had to reach in and pull out a bean. If it was a white bean, you got to live. If it was a black bean, you were stood against the wall and executed immediately. Now, some of you, for some of you, this story may sound familiar if you're a fan of Larry McMurtry and his lonesome dove cycle. Uh, because the McMurtry novel, Dead Men's Walk, which was made into a miniseries, uh, featured this incident. And it had um, Keith Carradine uh, in it as Bigfoot Wallace, actually. Uh, in the, uh, spoiler alert, in, in the McMurtry story, Bigfoot Wallace gets a black bean. Uh, and has a very dramatic execution. But in real life, that didn't happen. In real life, uh, Bigfoot Wallace drew a white bean. And he lived and went on to continue to be a very colorful uh, Texas Ranger for years to come. The McMurtry story kind of combined the characters of Bigfoot Wallace with Captain William Eastland. Um, It was, in fact, White County's own uh, Captain Eastland who drew a black bean. The, uh, The first, in fact, it may have been the only officer, to draw a black bean. Uh, when he did, uh, he was given the opportunity to speak some last words. He said that uh, he had no regrets about serving his, his country, and in this case, his country was the Republic of Texas, and said, I die in the faith in which I have lived, at which point he was he was shot by a firing squad. Years ago, I wrote uh, an article about Bigfoot Wallace specifically for Wild West magazine, which is a really great magazine. You can find it uh, places where fine magazines are sold. Uh, And after I'd written the article, this is about 20 years ago, I got a phone call uh, from someone in Texas named Eastland. Um, And they asked if I knew about the white County connections of, uh, William Eastland, which I had not at the time, and this is really this is really kind of ironic because I was living on Bon Mountain, so I was about five miles from where this guy was from, writing a story about the uh, incident in which he died, not having any idea of the connection, but I do now, and so do you. Uh, the Eastland community in in White County uh, is the resting place. Uh, there's a little, uh, uh, little cemetery there. That is the resting place of the entire Eastland family, except for son, William, who is buried in Mexico city in an unmarked grave. Um, not sure if the, the moral there is that Tennesseans should not wander too far from home. I hope that's not true. I've done so, but, uh, no one will have me for long. Um, uh, But a a better takeaway, I think, is the fact that the, the tapestry of our local history here in the Upper Cumberland is so rich and there are so many connections to the national and the international that sort of lead back to the Upper Cumberland. It is really fascinating. It's a fascinating group of stories and I look forward to sharing more of them with you. I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Hinson Oakley Podcast Center.